God's word can change and transform your life. And so we want you to be able to focus on that, okay? So we're asking, again, this is every week, but just as a reminder, no phones during this time. We want to really focus in on God's word, okay? And so we're continuing on in our semester series called Lenses. And each week we've been looking at a different lie in which the world wants us to believe. And then we look at God's word to help shed some light and help us refocus to have the correct biblical lens so we can understand the truth in the midst of many lies that we face on a weekly basis. So tonight, the lie that we're going to look at is my faith is private. Okay. So the lie we're going to look at tonight is my faith is private. And now, before I explain what I mean, let me clarify there are some things that we should keep private, okay? Like passwords. Uh, I don't recommend sharing all of your passwords online. Uh, credit card numbers. I don't recommend making those public all over the place, okay? And there are probably a lot, lots of other things. So, what's that? Oh, interesting. <laughs> if your password is password, you might need a new password, okay? But again... There are some things we don't share, so in case you've never heard that truth before, uh, don't share your passwords and your credit card numbers, okay? In case you didn't know that, there's your first bit of truth for tonight. However, there are some things that we can't help but talk about. There are some things that we just can't help but want to go public and declare to the world and oftentimes, those are experiences, right? Maybe you've had an experience, or you've met somebody, maybe famous, or you had a really cool story, and you're like, okay, I got to tell people about this, right? You know, have any of you ever met anybody famous? Besides me, that doesn't count. Uh, okay, tough crowd. We're getting there. Okay, all right. But there are things that maybe have happened in your life where you can't help but tell people about. Maybe it's a hobby a cool experience, maybe something cool that you purchased. Uh, again, maybe it's a famous person that you've met, whatever the case may be. But the reality is, each and every one of us have things in our life that we can't help but talk about, things that we love. It's probably easy for you to talk about the things that you love, right? And so for me, one of those things that I absolutely love to do is a sport called disc golf. Has anybody ever heard of disc golf? Okay, all right, you're welcome. Okay, all right. Uh, it is not frisbee golf. I rebuke that in the name of. Okay, I'm not, okay. I'm gonna stop there. But it's not. It's definitely, definitely not frisbee golf. We'll have to talk about that later. Okay. And so, if if anybody ever mentions disc golf around me, I'm like. Well there, hello. Let me talk to you for two hours about disc golf. And sometimes, like, you know, Laura will have to, like, remind me, like, not everybody is that into disc golf. So just, you know, like, hold back. And I'm like, but just hold me back. I want to keep talking about disc golf, okay? But each and every one of us have those things in our life that we can't help but talk about. And so for me, one of the things I love to do is talk about disc golf. 
And so maybe for some of you, it's been an experience where you've done something cool, you've been to a cool place, and you can't help but find any opportunity to kind of flex that story or that situation, right? You always have those moments, you're like, how can I slip this into conversation that I did this or that I met this person? So for example, one of the things I love to flex is that one time I hung out with Snoop Dogg on an airplane. True story, and that's all I'm going to say, is I hung out with Snoop Dogg on an airplane, and spoiler alert, we hung out for a while, and he gave me like a bunch of really expensive, cool food, but that's a different story. The reality is, I like to tell people, I hung out with Snoop Dogg on an airplane, so not to brag, but we're basically best friends, okay? <laughs> but I'm going to leave you in suspense on that, okay? So why am I saying all this? Because there are things that we should absolutely keep private, but one of the things I think it can be easy for us to contain or to be private about is our relationship with Jesus. Oftentimes, it's really easy for us to keep our relationship with Jesus private. And especially in light of our culture today, where more and more people believe that there's more than one way to heaven, or they believe that there's no such thing as sin, or maybe you're often afraid, well, if I'm a little more vocal about my faith, what if like my friends cancel me or they make fun of me? What if I offend somebody just by talking about what Jesus has done in my life? Maybe some of you have those fears. But in the world that we live in, Jesus is still calling us to be public about our faith. Because the message of Christ is life-giving, life-changing, and it's unlike any other belief system. And we believe that it will impact us for eternity. And so we can't help but be public about our faith. And again, I get it. It can be hard to overcome some of those fears. It can be hard to overcome those fears of, well, what if I get labeled as like the Jesus freak in my group? Or what if I'm the Bible thumper? I don't even know what they say anymore. But what if you're labeled as that super spiritual person and all of a sudden your friends are like, no, we're not hanging out anymore? Maybe, maybe for some of you, you don't want to like rock the boat. You don't want to make things weird or uncomfortable by bringing up Jesus. Whatever the case may be, I would guarantee that each and every one of us have fears that keep us from being public about our faith. Maybe for some of you, maybe it's not fear. Maybe it's just complacency. Or in other words, you just don't really want to do it. You're like, meh, it's not that big a deal. I don't really want to talk about it. Maybe it's embarrassing for you. That's a real, real fear. And I'm sure each and every one of us feel embarrassed on some level sometimes when we share our faith with others. Well, why do we face some of these fears? Well, oftentimes when we step into those arenas, it makes us uncomfortable. And I'm sure most of us here would agree that we like to be comfortable. I don't think many of us wake up in the morning and go, man, how many uncomfortable, awkward situations can I be in today? Let me figure that out, right? I'm sure a lot of us don't want to rock the boat or be labeled as that weird spiritual person in our friend groups. <laughs> and maybe some of you are here tonight, and maybe you think, you know what, I, I don't even 
think it's a big deal to share my faith? Or what do you mean we're supposed to share our faith? So no matter where you're at tonight, this is the question that we want to talk about. And maybe you're like, you know what? I get it. I hear what you're saying, but I still don't think it's a big deal. Well, the question is, if we are truly supposed to keep our faith private, if we're supposed to be private about our faith and not tell anybody about that, if that were true, then why does the Bible say the exact opposite? And here are a few verses. Mark 16, 15 says, this is Jesus talking, and he says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And that word proclaim means shout it loud, be vocal about it. Jesus is not suggesting at all that we're to be quiet about our faith. Romans 1 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And 2 Timothy 4 says, preach the word, be ready in and out of season. And so Jesus says, proclaim the gospel. Paul says, don't be ashamed of the gospel, be proud of the gospel. And then Paul writes to Timothy, preach the word, be ready. Be ready for every season to share your faith. And so here's the reality. Our faith should be personal, but not private. And let me, let me explain what I mean by this. Our faith should be personal, but not private. And so let me define my terms here for us so you understand what I mean. When I say personal, what I mean is a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus, meaning you spend time with him, you talk with him, you don't just learn about Jesus, but you actually have a relationship with Jesus. Because it's one thing to know things about Jesus, but it's something else to actually know him and have a personal relationship with Jesus. When you have a personal relationship with Jesus, it's the fact that you can't help but talk about Jesus because he's changed your life. We should be unashamed of the relationship that we have with Jesus. And so when I say personal relationship, that's what I mean. A deep, intimate, growing relationship with Jesus. Not just knowing all kinds of facts or knowing things that I've said or talked about or just rattling off Bible verses. I mean having a relationship with Jesus. And so when I say private, I mean keeping your faith to yourself. You don't really talk about it with others. You intentionally keep it contained, okay? So again, personal meaning a relationship. Private meaning I'm just going to keep it to myself and I'm not going to really talk about it or make a big deal about it on any level. Okay, does that make sense? So tonight, what I want to do is I want to show you an example of somebody who did not keep their faith private. Okay, so... If you have your Bible, turn to the book of John. So if you open your Bible up halfway, start to turn to the right a little bit, you're going to eventually see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then the book of John. And we're going to be in John chapter 4. And so if you need help finding the book of John, just feel free to raise your hand, ask a leader, ask a neighbor. There's no shame in that. We want to make sure that you see exactly what we're talking about tonight. And so we're going to look at the story of a woman who was not private with her faith, okay? So turn to John chapter 4. Again, if you need help, just ask somebody. John chapter 4. And so this is the story 
that maybe you've heard it called the woman at the well. And so we're going to break this story into a couple smaller passages, and we're going to work through this together, and we're going to look at the big picture of what's happening here. Okay. All right. So if you're at John 4, give me a thumbs up so I know you're with me. Okay. Good deal. Don't accidentally go up your nose. Okay. John chapter 4. Okay. Let me start in verse 1. I want you to really tune in and focus here, okay? So starting in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again from Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and this well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And so let's pause there. Let me give you a little bit of context to what's happening in this story, okay? So first, culturally speaking, Samaritans and Jews did not get along. Jews and Samaritans essentially hated each other, okay? They were not friends at all. And so Jesus, he was on his way to Galilee. And so as he was on his way to Galilee, there's essentially two routes that he could have taken. One route was way out of the way, and that was the route that they typically would take because it would basically make them avoid all of Samaria, or they could take the shorter direct way. And so again, Jews would normally take what's called the eastern route, even though this road would take a few extra days, they would take this road simply to avoid having to interact with any Samaritans. And so this paints the picture of the relationship, is that Typically, Jews would take the long way around, which would take multiple days in addition to completely avoid this area. Jesus, however, had other plans. And again, Jesus was a Jew and this woman was a Samaritan. So she is shocked that he would even talk to her. Because again, there's this cultural boundary here that even really him talking to her is kind of like, whoa, what is happening here? Because again, they did not like each other. And so second, cultural prejudices of the day discouraged 
public conversations between men and women. This was a common cultural prejudice that there wasn't many public conversations between men and women. And then third, remember, this is the Middle East. This is roughly the middle of the day. And so the Middle East, in the middle of the day, do you think it's going to be cold or hot? Okay, cold or hot? Okay, yes, it was very, very warm. So the question is, why was this woman in Samaria, why was she at this well in the middle of the day at the warmest point getting water? Because if I had to go take these big buckets or you know, jars to go up and get water, I'm probably not going to go up when it's crazy hot outside. But yet here she is at this well in the middle of the day. And so she's used to being there by herself. So she's probably also wondering, why is somebody here? This is not the popular time to be getting water. Because most everybody else would have gotten their water in the morning or in the evening when it was cool. And so part of this makes me think, well, okay, she must clearly not want to be around people if she's there at the worst time of the day to get water. So something's happening here behind the scenes. So let's, let's start to work through this a little bit. I want to I get your feedback here. So let me ask you this. What does Jesus ask her in verse 7? So look back in your Bibles. Look at verse 7. What does Jesus ask her in verse 7? Nate? He asks her, yeah, he asks her for a drink of water. Okay, so that's the, that's the conversation water. Please give me a drink of water. Okay. What is her reply to Jesus? How does she reply to his question of a request of having water? Daniel? Yeah, you got it? Yeah. She's like, why are you, a Jew, asking me, a woman from Samaria, for a drink of water? In other words... Are you not aware that this is breaking a lot of weird cultural boundaries here? This is not a normal conversation that is happening right now. Okay, So this is what's happening. He asked her for a drink, and she's addressing this reality of why is this happening. But Jesus says, I have a gift for you, and he brings up living water. And so let me read verses 13 and 14 again. You can look in there. Verse 13 and 14 says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Okay, so he's talking about living water. So how does she respond to what Jesus says in verses 13 and 14 about living water? How does she respond to what he says about living water. So right after verse 14, what do you see? Look right in there. Yeah. Yeah. She says, please give me this water so one, I don't have to be thirsty again, and two, so I don't have to come here again, right? Very reasonable thing to say. She says, please give me this water. Essentially, it would be nice to not have to come here in the warmest point of the day, every day, to avoid people. I'm sure on some level she's thinking, it'd be really great to just avoid all of this. 
But Jesus isn't talking about physical water. He's talking about something much deeper. So let's pick back up in the story to see where this goes. So pick you up, uh, picking up in verse 16, okay? Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Okay, so let's pause. So Jesus asks her about her husband, knowing that she's already had five husbands. So what does she say in response to him addressing that in verses 19 and 20, okay? So he asks her, call your husband, and then he says, yeah, I know, you've had five husbands. So what does she say in response to that in verses 19 and 20? So find verse 19 and 20, what does she say? Yeah. So she said, so he said, Jesus says this to her and she says, you must be a prophet because you know what is happening in my life, what has happened. And she asks him this question, why do the Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while the Samaritans claim to have worshiped on this mountain? So she asks this question. And so his response is the time is coming when it doesn't matter where you worship specifically. And that time that I'm talking about is now. The time is now. And so what does she say next in verse 25? Verse 25, what does she say after Jesus says this to her? Nate? Yeah. She says, I know that the Messiah is coming and he's going to tell us everything that you're talking about. The Messiah will come. In other words, she's acknowledging our Savior will one day come and when he does, he will tell us more about what you're talking about. And so you might not see a ton from this, but what this tells us is clearly she has read the Old Testament and she knows that a Messiah is coming who will explain the truth about God. So she's read the Old Testament. She knows that a Messiah is coming, and she is waiting and longing for that day. So she says that, I know a Messiah is coming. What does Jesus say in verse 26? What does he say to her? 
Jesus says, I'm that guy. I'm the Messiah, right? I'm not saying that like I am. I'm saying Jesus is saying to her, I'm the Messiah. You're looking at him. She's saying one day the Messiah, our Savior, will come and he will tell us these things. And Jesus says, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. So, what does he mean by this? What does he mean when he's saying this? What is he getting at? Well, one, he's saying to her, I'm the Savior you've been waiting and longing for. Jesus tells her, the Messiah, the Savior that you are waiting for, I am he. And in him telling her that, the response then is follow me. Jesus says, I am the Messiah. And so the implication here then is follow me. What Jesus is implying here in these verses is he's saying, essentially, I know you. I know your baggage. He could list out everything that's happened in her life. And he just said one little thing about her life. He's saying, I know you. I know your baggage. Yet here I am at the warmest point in the day, defying all of the cultural boundaries. I'm here to tell you that I have a gift. And what is that gift? Everlasting life. Jesus says, I know you. I know what has happened in your life. And I'm here today breaking all of the weird boundaries to tell you that I'm here to offer you everlasting life. That's what Jesus is there to do and to say. And so what happens next? Let's look. Verse 27. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. And so at this point in the conversation, the disciples, the closest followers of Jesus, they kind of walk in to this conversation and it says that they were marveled. In other words, they were shocked not expecting this exchange happening. Because again, everything that Jesus is doing here culturally is, uh-uh, we don't do that. And so they come here and they're like, whoa, what's, what's happening here? And so after this encounter with Jesus, let's look at how she responds. How does she respond to Jesus? What do you see in these verses? Starting in verse 29 and 30. What's her response? to this encounter with Jesus. What does she do right away? Anybody else? You guys have been really good, so thank you. Anybody else? What, is, what does she say? You can look right in the passage. Verse 29. Jason. Yeah. She's like, um, okay, I got to tell people that this could be the Messiah. Well, hold on. Wasn't she there to get water from these water jugs? What did she do with the water jugs, the water jars, whatever? Yeah. 
She just left them. So she did all of this work to come forward to the well to get water. She has this conversation and encounter with Jesus. And then she just drops these jars and she goes into town saying, come see this man who's told me everything that I have done. And so how did she respond? She immediately dropped what she was doing, the very thing that she was there to do, and she ran back into town. And she was having conversations with people, telling people about this encounter to the point that people stopped what they were doing and were coming to see Jesus. I don't know about you, that seems pretty public to me. To the point where she went into town telling everybody about what has happened and people were literally stopping what they were doing and coming to see this Messiah that she was talking about. So let me ask you this. Who was this woman before Jesus and what do you notice differently about her now? What do you notice about her before Jesus versus after Jesus. Yeah, Luna? Okay, yeah, there's the element of that because she's there in the middle of the day when no one's gonna be there to get the water and now she's like, I gotta tell everybody, right? Yeah, Jason? Her whole point in being there at that time was to not be around people. And yet, what is she doing now? Interacting with all the people who she was just trying to avoid. Right? Any other thoughts? Yeah, Jocelyn? Mm -hmm. Yeah? Other thoughts? Before her interaction, now after her interaction, any other thoughts? What do you see? Yeah. Okay. Um, a lot of times in the, the clothing, they would notice right away um, the language. Um, being that it was a decent-sized towns, a smaller town, she would have known right away that he's not from around this area. So my quick answer would be clothing, language. Um, probably to her, the fact that he's there in the middle of the day when nobody else is normally there is already telling her, okay, clearly he must be different. So there's a lot of different ways that they would tell, but those are a couple of really quick specific ways. Yeah, a good, good question. Very good question. So she started out with this very private faith, but now she is unashamed and very vocal about it because nothing about her encounter with Jesus tells us that she was quiet and reserved. Her goal was to make sure that everyone knew about this Messiah. Can this be the Christ? She became pretty public about her faith. And so let's see how the story ends. Uh, let's jump to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. He told me everything that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. 
And so because of this woman's response to Jesus, many people in the town believed and placed their faith in Christ. And so in this very simplistic sense, what started out as a pit stop for Jesus is now leading to this revival happening in this town to the point where Jesus even spent a couple more days in this town teaching. So he rolls in to grab some water, and now all of a sudden, there's this revival happening. People are placing their faith in Jesus, and he's there talking more about who he is. And so what's amazing here is that the people's curiosity was sparked by this woman's story, but what ultimately brought them to the point of salvation, of placing their faith in Christ, was their own encounter with Jesus. What started out, their curiosity was, you know, piqued by this woman's testimony, but it came to the point where they believed for themselves. They had an encounter with Jesus. And so what's so amazing about the story, and we're barely scratching the surface here, but God used this woman's story and her unashamed desire to share this newfound belief to bring many people in this town to have a knowledge of Jesus. And so God used this woman's story, her unashamed desire to share this belief, to share her faith, the Messiah. God used her in a mighty way to bring people to a knowledge of Jesus. And you know what's amazing about that? Is God wants to do the same with you. God wants to do the very same thing. He wants to use you as a billboard for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God wants to use you and your story, your redeemed story, to bring others to a saving knowledge of Jesus. He wants to use you as a vehicle for the life-changing message of Jesus. And so not only... Should that be our natural response to placing our faith in Jesus, right? We just, Jesus didn't tell her, hey, this is the part where you now go and tell everybody, right? We don't see that. When she encountered Jesus, she just dropped everything and went. That was her response. When she encountered the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior, she went. That was the response. But, Throughout the scriptures, we also see that Jesus actually tells us to go and share this message. Maybe you've heard of this verse before, Matthew 28. I'll have it on the screen. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so before Jesus ascended into heaven, after his resurrection, He tells the disciples, go and share this message. Go and share this message. And you know what's amazing? When you really dig into the Greek here, you know what it means? Go and share the message. Right? Greek scholars, okay? He means go and actually share this message. And so if you have been truly transformed by the gospel, if you've placed your faith in Jesus... Believe that he is the forgiveness of your sins. If you've placed your faith in him, 
then Jesus is telling you to go share your faith, to go be vocal about it, to share what Jesus has done in your life. And so if you have placed your faith in Christ, let me just echo what Jesus has already said. Go and share your faith. Sharing what Jesus has done in your life is not optional. Jesus is saying, go and share what I've done. And I hope and pray that if we've had an encounter with Jesus, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, I hope that on some level, there's this sense of, I know what it's like now to have meaning and purpose. I have a restored relationship with God. I gotta share this with somebody. But let me also remind you that Jesus calls us to go and be public about our faith. Not private, but public. And so the question I wanna leave you with the question I want to leave you with is this. Will you share the gospel? Will you share this message of Jesus? Because here's the reality. While we're called to have a personal relationship with Jesus, we are not meant to keep our faith private. We're called to have a personal relationship with Jesus, but we are not called to keep our faith private. And so here's the truth that I want to clear up for this slide. The truth is God is calling us to go and share the gospel, and to make disciples. And so, will you be like this woman at the well and make sharing your faith a priority, or will you simply reject the very command that Jesus has given you? Will you be like her and just go and share your faith, or will you reject the very command that Jesus himself gave? And so notice after this encounter with the woman, Jesus doesn't say, okay, well, first things first, you're going to want to go to Bible college and get a degree. You're going to want to have the biggest study Bible possible. You're going to want to have a degree in public speaking. Uh, you're going to want to have the nicest clothes. Here's the long list of things you're going to need to do before you go share the message. That's not true at all. She encountered the Messiah, and her response was to go and share. And so that means if any one of you here, if you have placed your faith in Christ, then go share the gospel. You're qualified to share the good news of Jesus. And so will you? Or if you say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. Well, I'm not the one saying it. Jesus says to go and do it. So if you choose not to do it, then you're simply outright rejecting what Jesus told us to do. And that's between you and the Lord. But I would encourage you to go and share this message. And so Jesus gave the call to go share your faith. So how will you respond? And so you're going to have some more time to process this in small groups. But before we dismiss, let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for what you have done on the cross. God, the more and more I study the gospel, the more I just simply don't get it. It's just unfathomable that I now have an opportunity to have a restored relationship with you, God. And I praise you for that. God, I pray that if there is a student here in this room that has never placed their faith in Christ, if they've never had an encounter with Jesus, that they would say, tonight is the night that I have heard what we've been teaching and I want to place my faith in you, Lord Jesus, for the forgiveness of my sins. I pray that if the Spirit is 
pulling on someone's heart to take that step of faith, that they would do it. Because the best day to make a change in your life is right now. And so God, I pray that somebody here tonight, Lord, we know that you call and you draw people. And I pray that if somebody's feeling that pull, that they would place their faith in you, God. And for those here who have placed their faith in you, I pray that we would take this call to heart, that we would go and share our faith. God, that we would take every opportunity with those around us to share what you have done in our lives because this world needs hope. This world is broken and messed up and hurting and we have the very message that has the power to change their lives and so why would we not share it? God, I praise you that somebody took the step of faith to share the gospel with me that I may now be here today. God, I praise you for that. And God, I pray that each and every one of us would take this call to heart and that we would just find simple ways to just be more vocal about it. God, you may not be asking us to just go and give all these sermons. God, it may just be us starting to be more vocal about, I went to church this week. God, whatever it may be, I pray that we would take that step of faith. And God, it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, make sure you find your small group leader and uh, head to small groups to process this a little more. All right?